all those among us. And we're doing that by looking at some of the parables that Jesus used to describe the kingdom. So whenever he says, and the kingdom of God is like, then uh, we're going to look at those. There's 10 of them actually in the, in the New Testament, and we're going to study them all. So uh, you can um, uh, uh, think through that idea and immediately, immediately you can think of it as something you do to check off a list or because Jesus said so, or you begin to recognize that we have been touched with this kingdom love. We have been transformed and it's out of our new identity as sons and daughters of the king that we are becoming carriers of the kingdom. We are becoming those that are children of light in the kingdom of light, following uh, the king of light, uh, who's the light of the world, right? This is our identity. So this is the, the, the angle we're taking for this. And one of the most loving things we can do for our neighbors is to pray for them. The scriptures tell us that no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them to Jesus. That is something we do in prayer. That's something we ask for, that they have spiritual eyes. So last week, I introduced you to a wonderful resource, a website called blesseveryhome.com. And I just want to encourage you again today, if you haven't done that, to go on blesseveryhome.com. You register. You just put your name, your address, your email, and they will uh, identify out of their database uh, the number of homes you select, 40, 50, 60, around you, and they will send you an email uh, on the days you tell them to, uh, to remind you to pray for five of your neighbors, along with a scripture that will be a, a scripture you can pray over your neighbors. Um, and then you put in there that you're part of Marymount Church, and then uh, we get to see uh, all of what's going on. And our our hope is that about a hundred of us would do this or maybe more. And if we all pick 40 to 50 neighbors, then every two weeks we'll be praying for 4,000 neighbors. And right now, uh, there are millions and millions of people being prayed for in the United States. And there are uh, now about 500 being prayed for by people from this congregation. So we want to crank that up and expand that in. So let me pray. Father, as we open your word now, ask that you would open our hearts and by the Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us exactly uh, where you want to work in our hearts today. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the kingdom parable for today is in Matthew chapter 18, uh, and it's known as the parable of the unmerciful servant. If you're here and you need a Bible, just put your hand up. Maybe people at the back can get Bibles out. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew 18, and uh, you can follow along in your Bible or on your device, whatever works for you. And while you're turning to Matthew 18, and keep your arm up, the ushers will get to you. When you're turning to Matthew 18, I'm just going to walk through very briefly the first 20 verses of that passage, because we're going to start in verse 21. But what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 18, he is describing the kingdom community. He's describing what he wants to see as new people come into the kingdom and we begin to be a community. 
So he's talking about, first of all, what is greatness in the kingdom? That is humility. If you want to be great, be humble. He's encouraging us to repent from the times and the situations where we begin to harm others. Uh, he's asking us in verses 10 uh, through 14 to shepherd and care for each other, to look out for each other. Uh, in verses 15 to 17, he's talking about relationship repair and justice. How do you set things right in the kingdom when they're not right? And then he talks about that, all of that being a prerequisite for the church to have power. He says, so if you guys are together like that, then when you bind things on earth, um, because they're bound in heaven, then I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to bind things on earth. And when, when the heavens want to release something on earth, I'm going to go ahead and, and release that. So that is because we have power when we love one another and we're in right relationship with each other. So he clearly is talking about mercy and forgiveness all the way through this because Peter, uh, who isn't the sharpest needle in the stack at this point in his journey, uh, knows in instantly that Jesus is talking about forgiveness. So he says in verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So Peter thinks he's being really magnanimous because the rabbis of the day would say, forgive somebody three times and you're done. Well, Peter says, well, seven sounds like a good number. How about that, Jesus? Let's let, how about if we forgive seven times? And Jesus immediately answers, uh, no, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is saying that the kingdom is about mercy and forgiveness. This is going to be a hallmark. The expectation of forgiveness in the kingdom is very high. And we are going to be a kingdom of forgiveness and a kingdom of mercy. And Jesus is actually going beyond that. He's not saying 490 times and then you stop. He's essentially saying, keep forgiving all the time, forever, no matter what. And to illustrate that, he slips in this 77 times. He's not pulling that out of the air. He's pulling it out of Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, the only other place in the Bible that term occurs, we see this, this guy named Lamech, and he is one of the nastiest dudes in the whole first 11 chapters of the Bible. And he is bragging that he's got more than one wife. He's bragging that he's killed a man, and he's bragging that he's going to be avenging anybody who comes after him 77 times. And what Jesus is actually saying is he's saying, not only do I want you to practice unlimited forgiveness, but I want you to practice unlimited forgiveness against even or with even the likes of Lamech, even these nasty people. There is no one who's too far gone from the mercy and the grace of Jesus. If you've ever thought that what you've done is somehow beyond what Jesus can do. If you've ever felt like, man, I don't think that can be forgiven. I should have known better. Whatever it might be, Jesus is here saying, uh-uh. 
that is well within my reach. Let me give you an illustration. In the Nuremberg trials after World War II, there were 21 high-ranking German officials who were being tried for war crimes. They were, six of them were Catholic, and 15 of them were Protestant. And I was able to read the memoirs of the Protestant pastor who was assigned to work with the 15 Protestant war criminals during the trials. He was a British pastor who happened to be fluent in German and who happened to have three sons killed by the Nazis in the war. And it was his job to bring the mercy and forgiveness of the gospel to these guys. They were all tried. They were all executed. They were all found guilty. They were all executed. But during the trials, 13 of these men repented of what they had done and asked Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And according to this pastor, those will be some of the crazy characters we meet in heaven. That is the scandal and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. No one is too far gone. We should never compare our sin to one another's because as we're going to see in this passage, all of it is infinitely offensive to God and equally infinitely offensive to God. And so Jesus, uh, launches into that. So he continues then to wrap it all together. He says, therefore, based on this conversation and everything I've said so far about the community of the kingdom, uh, this is the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or your Bibles might say 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Here we've got uh, Jesus uh, outlining um, this, this guy's debt is massive, massive. It's actually infinite. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. A talent uh, is 75 pounds of gold. So this guy owes 375 tons of gold to the king. Probably he was some type of regional governor. The governor, this guy had obviously made some mistakes and was out uh, 10,000 talents. That's $16 billion and today's gold price of about $1,345 an ounce. And one talent would be about 20 years wages. So this guy had absolutely no hope of ever digging himself out of this situation. His debt was infinite, and all he can do is ask for mercy. So in verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Wow. Wow took pity on him as literally his heart went out to him. This guy could only ask for mercy. And when he did, he received it. He received it. Jesus is trying to help us all see that 
the the weight of what we have done uh, against a holy and perfect and infinite God is infinitely beyond our reach to ever deal with ourselves. No matter how many good works we do, no matter how we serve, no matter how we uh, pray, there's nothing that can save us except the king canceling our debt. And this king cancels this debt at great cost to himself. The cost to the king is actually enormous. In the day, all of the taxes collected by Rome over all the provinces where Israel lived, Idumea, Judea, Samaria, all those places, their total tax income was 600 talents a year. This regional governor was out 10,000. So this is going to cost the king to forgive. It's going to cost him in maybe a foreign attack. Maybe some other part of his kingdom is going to be in a mess. It is, it is going to cost him. And similarly, we are so far gone in our sin before a holy God that the only thing that's ever going to be possible is for the king to cancel our debt. And the cost is going to be the cross. The cost is going to be Jesus bleeding to death on a cross to set us free to completely cover our debt. Now, if you're tracking with me, you're beginning to go back to that time when you first opened your eyes to Jesus, or maybe you're at that point where you're wrestling with God and you're not sure about this Jesus and you're not sure about getting all in, putting your entire stack of chips all in. But this is the amazing good news of the gospel. This is that glorious moment when we realize because God is infinite, our debt to him is infinite. There's no way to cover it. And there's no reason to compare one another, even to those German war criminals, because the Bible says that if you break the law at one point, you've broken it all. You've broken it all. So we have absolutely zero hope or prayer to be forgiven except for Jesus, except for his mercy, except for what he has done as the story of the king. And so Jesus wants us to see the infinite nature of the offense of what we've done before a holy God with our sin, our times of rebellion, our times of self-centeredness. And as we think about having communion in a few minutes, we're going to re-experience the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood through the communion elements, and we're going to receive that. And I pray that you will receive that today in a way where floods of gratitude and relief come over you because you've literally been snatched from the fire by the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And it is this that we celebrate at communion. And if you've never taken that step, then today you can ask Jesus for mercy and the forgiveness of your sin. And he will, like the king in the story here, he will set you free from your debt. He will cancel the debt 
not because he sweeps it under the rug, not because he looks the other way, but because he put it all on his son and crushed him in punishment for what you and I have done. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the good news that we celebrate today and we worship and sing to our king. But there's more to the story, and Jesus wants us to take it a step further. What do we do with God's mercy? How do we respond? So let's talk about this new servant, this newly freed servant, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This guy is still thinking that he has a debt to repay. Pay it back to me. This guy has not brought into his heart the actual miracle of the mercy he was shown. This guy is responding to mercy with violence. And it is a picture, it is a picture of that person who receives the good news and somehow begins to use it as a weapon for comparison and uses it as a way to have others being judged. And this guy is comparing his debt and he has 200,000 years of wages is his debt. 100 days of wages is the other guy's debt. And he has put his hands on his neck to choke him because he's never fully internalized what this king did for him at that moment. And there are times where we also fail to grasp what Jesus has done for us. And so we get into comparison and human nature uh, is to uh, uh, minimize our sin and more strenuously and harshly judge the sin of others. This is how we roll. So instead of living in our undeserved reprise, reprieve from, from hell, we begun, we begin to be comparing and we in, in this false place of self-righteousness, my security is, and my superiority and my comparison to others. And it is literally false self-righteousness, false security, false superiority, and false salvation. It's not what God has done for us that is shining through us. Now the community steps in. So Jesus earlier in chapter, verse 15 to 17 said, when something goes wrong, and it doesn't get sorted out, then you get some other witnesses in there and you get the truth established. So the, um, the other servants, when the other servants, verse 31, saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back 
all he owed. The community is grieved and offended, and the man is returned to his original misery, and the other servants of the king have upheld his honor and his justice. And so the community plays a a vital role in maintaining justice and mercy and forgiveness. Now, the way that we do that around here, you have as an insert that you got in your program, and I'm not going to go over this all in detail, but our social covenant as a body, as a congregation, is based on this teaching and other teachings of Jesus. And um, we want relationships of integrity in the body of Christ. And so we, we have the first section there under the first bold line is all about the ways that we want to be as a church. And then, uh, we, we then have a section, well, what happens when things do not go well? What do we do? And so that second section outlines how we will go to others to deal with problems. And it really is the application of Jesus's teaching in verses 15 to 17. And the third section, when it goes wrong, we are going to practice biblical repentance. What is biblical repentance? It is a turning around of our behavior, and it can be expressed in this little formula. It'll be unique and different each time, but we begin by owning what we did. We don't see a lot of this uh, around us, but we actually say, I did it. Then we, we say, we were wrong. We were wrong. And then we say that we've been able to think about it and actually understood in some way as much as possible how this might have affected you. And we express repentance over that, that this has cost you. And then we ask for forgiveness. And then we ask to be held accountable going forward to help me stay on the right track here. And finally, we ask, is there anything else that I could do to better reflect my repentance in this case? And we open ourselves up to being directed by the other person. And then as the, on the receiving end of that, we practice biblical forgiveness, which is we will not be superior, self-justifying or caricature the other. We believe deep down that we're also capable of these kinds of things. We take pity. We put our heart out to the other and we identify with them. We cancel the debt. We absorb the cost, whatever it is, and we quickly pass it on to Jesus. Whether it's emotional, whether it's uh, physical, whether it's financial, we pass it on and we hope and trust that our feelings will catch up even if they aren't manifesting at that moment. We let them go in freedom. We don't hold a grudge over them or keep a record of wrongs. And we actively seek the other person's blessing in prayer and word and in deed. And that way we stay free and clear and we walk in the mercy of Jesus. And if you are here this morning and there is a place of unforgiveness in your life. I just encourage you to recognize that as a spiritual just cancer because unforgiveness towards someone else has serious consequences for you. It's like swallowing poison and hoping the other person dies. It's really, really, really not of the kingdom of God. 
Now today, if there's something like that, remember, you are not condoning what the other person did. You are not saying what they did was right. You are simply passing the debt of that, the cost to you of that, and you're passing it over to Jesus. And he's either going to work it through with that person now or sometime later in their life. And if that's still not sufficient, then they will have to pay the penalty eventually. But nothing will be swept under the rug. Jesus will set everything right. So we pass that on to him. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, earlier in his teaching in Matthew, he said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The merciful will receive mercy and the unmerciful will not. And so the parable ends as Jesus almost turns his attention from the story to the listeners. And he says this, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. True kingdom love is forgiveness. And uh, that brings a very clear example from another part of Jesus's teaching earlier when he was teaching us how to pray. He said, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Matthew six twelve in the Lord's Prayer. And just so we would understand, he is meaning causality. At the end of the prayer training, he says, so for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So in addition to the damaging effects of unforgiveness, they also put a, that also puts us in spiritual checkmate because as we, for, as we refuse to forgive someone else, then our sins are no longer being forgiven and we begin to have the effects of a life that's weighed down by sin, depression, anxiety, fear, all of that stuff can be real effects of not letting things go. So, Jesus has taught us some interesting things this morning. Number one, the overwhelming debt that he forgives. And we get to experience that in communion. The minor debts we have to forgive. The challenge of extending mercy, the cost of that, and the damage of judgment. So, we can be instruments of his mercy. And that's what we're praying for in the prayer covenant each day. Those of us who are praying through this prayer, number line number three, empower me to love others the way you love me. Make number eight, make me an instrument of your grace, truth. There it is, forgiveness. Use me today for your glory as a witness to your kingdom. This is what we're being invited into as Jesus teaches us about the kingdom. And so it kind of makes sense now of a, of a command at the end of John, which many people have found kind of confusing. But it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We looked at that on Pentecost Sunday, right? Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. And here he says this, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. 
if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. In other words, as you go out and share the kingdom of God, you're going to run into people who are on the wrong side of their relationship with me. And as you explain this to them, uh, hopefully they'll be those that come and receive. And when you and I are with someone who is confessing sin to Christ and asking Christ by faith for forgiveness, you can put a hand on each of their cheeks. You can look them in the eye and you can say, because you trust Christ, your sins are forgiven. You have that authority. And if we don't go and if nobody hears the news and if nothing happens and they don't uh, seek the forgiveness of their sin, then their sins aren't forgiven. And so it's a sending, it's a sending command to get out there and let these people get free. Jim Elliott and four of his college buddies from Wheaton University went in 1954 to the nation of Ecuador, to the Horanga people. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. And uh, they brought the gospel. They flew over the area. They began to land, they exchanged things, and then surprisingly, uh, on January 8th, 1956, the natives attacked them and slaughtered them on the shores of this uh, river where they had their community. And um, it's a stunning story because uh, later, months later, the wives, the widows, came back to this community and forgave the murderers. And it was at the point of the forgiveness of the murderers by the widowed wives that the gospel took root in this community and almost everyone became a follower of Jesus. And that is the power that Jesus is talking about here in forgiving our sins. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living and speaking. James says it this way. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That's the gospel. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And he goes on to say that mercy triumphs over judgment. So in this powerful little parable, Jesus is uh, teaching us about the kingdom of God. And number one thing that he wants us to hear here is... Anyone who comes to me, no matter who they are, no matter what they have done, they come to me in faith and ask for forgiveness of their sin, their debt will be canceled. They will be declared not guilty. They will be as white as snow. That's the good news. That's what this servant received. But then he goes on to say, look, make sure you're in the kingdom because If you are, then what you received will have changed your life. What you received will make you merciful. What you received will make you desire to be that person who's an agent of forgiveness for others. And if your heart is hard on that, then take that sin back to Jesus. Step one, rinse and repeat and receive full forgiveness today. And then be an agent of forgiving others. And finally, it just should season all of our conversations. 
all of our conversations should be seasoned with this mercy. There's a young guy, uh, Peter, who has a website called uh, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. And he has there a lot of practical things on starting spiritual conversations. But he says this, starting a spiritual conversation with someone is the best way to get somebody saved. In other words, we can serve people. We can encourage people. We can meet their practical needs. But they need to hear about the kingdom. They need to hear that the reason we're here is because we're bringing a kingdom. And there is a king and he's a forgiving king and he's an amazing king. And now is our time to share that with the people. And that is a spiritual conversation. And what's that about? It's about talking about God naturally. My father, let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about Jesus. It can be a simple thing as, you know, the father's given us a beautiful day today. You know, weather is not a random activity, but it is uh, the, the work of the king of the cosmos. Everything, he's holding everything together. So we can literally comment on a beautiful young child that's being fostered. You know, that's something Jesus would do. An orphan who's been adopted, that's something that Jesus would do. You know, on and on and on. Uh, keep listening and observing watching if someone's walking to you and they're towards you on the street and they're limping it's okay to quickly ask god what he wants you to do and to stop and to pray for them and uh if you're going to touch them ask permission first if you're going to pray for them ask permission first i fail to do that sometimes and they freak out but don't pray long drawn out prayers jesus's prayers in the gospels are kind of short you know, and, and bless them. Um, speak of Jesus as whatever you're doing privately with Jesus. If you're worshiping him privately, then you're going you're gonna to move into talking about him publicly. If you're not worshiping him privately, start. Because it's out of the fullness of the heart that it comes. So the worship team's going to come up and I'm going to just give you a couple of very practical tools here. Four questions that you can use uh, as you meet and serve other people. One, the first question is kind of a transition question. Sometimes you're in a conversation with somebody and you need to switch gears to spiritual matters. Well, it's okay to say, hey, can I ask you an interesting question? Or, hey, can I ask you a question I've been pondering? Um, what is the one thing in this world that mo- matters most to you? And why is that? Where are you on your spiritual journey? An open-ended question. A great way to start into a conversation. Or if God could do anything for you today, what would that be? What would that be? These are just some ideas. I know if you think about it and ask the Holy Spirit, he'll give you more. But I just want to encourage you um, that these are practical things we can do to put into practice this life of mercy that Jesus wants us to have. So, Father, thank you for your great mercy. Thank you, Lord, as we come now to partake in the body and blood of Jesus represented by these uh, elements of bread and juice. Father, I pray we would confess 
and release our unforgiveness, that we would be agents of mercy in fresh ways today. So, Lord, come during this time. Fill this place, fill this time with your grace and your mercy, Lord, that we would be your people, carriers of mercy, sons and daughters of the kingdom of light. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord. The prayer teams will come up. We'll have communion. And uh, we'll ask, and we've been asking for the presence of the Lord. So come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh, the 
of God When I was your foe I was your foe, still your love fought for me. And you have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. The love that all the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It's always chases me down, fights till I've found these the night denied. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Don't the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow, there's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't sit down, coming after me. No shadow, there's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. The shadow, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Though it chases me 
nine I couldn't earn it I don't deserve it Still you keep yourself away Oh, the overwhelming Never-ending Reckless love of God 